Hello and welcome to today's broadcast. It's, I'm so glad to be able to uh, speak to you today. I want to talk to you about soul health, continuing in our series. And uh, I want to talk to you today about emotional intelligence. You know, I believe poor soul health is destroying countless churches, marriages, families and homes all over the world. You and I live in a body. <clears throat> and inside this body, we carry a soul. And this soul of ours has its own mind, it has its own will, and it has its own emotions. And those emotions can get us in all kinds of trouble, and you know they can also bring us a lot of blessing and peace and blah, blah, blah. But right now, it may trouble you to know that there are just as many Christian marriages, families, and homes that are dysfunctional and are in serious need of help than there are as many non-spiritual families, marriages and homes. Now, why is that? If we're, if we're meant to be Christians and we're meant to have the truth, we're meant to have scripture to help us, why is it so many marriages, families and homes are spiritually dysfunctional? Well, to help us, I've just written a book called Stronger. And in this book, I outline the six DNA components affecting every marriage, family, and home. And I outline the six core intelligences. So when I say components, let me change that word for intelligences. Because I call them intelligences because that's exactly what they are. Let me give them to you up front. Now, this book's going to be made available to everyone. And I have a graphic on my iPad here. But if I've shown you, the camera wouldn't pick it up. But uh, we might put it, uh, it might be on a screen. Um, the first one is relational intelligence. We all need good relational intelligence. Secondly is emotional intelligence. Every family, home and marriage, every church, every company, every, every place needs good emotional intelligence. The next one is psychological intelligence. Then there is spiritual intelligence, common sense intelligence. You know what they say about common sense? It's not all that common. And we need common sense intelligence and the last one is financial intelligence and I write about these in in my book and uh, I believe that each one of these areas will build and strengthen a marriage a family and a home but today I want to talk to you about emotional intelligence because I believe it's one of the keys to developing good soul health it's a key to developing. In fact, it's not just a key, it's a superpower. Those who have good, stable, strong emotional intelligence, it's a superpower. They're balanced, they're healthy, psychologically, emotionally, relationally. They are in good health. So when God created us, God created you and me with a DNA. And this DNA consists of relational, spiritual, psychological emotional, common sense, which are dynamics. And that if you put them into one box, we could call that box the human soul because all these dynamics live inside of you to greater or to lesser effect, that is. So the word emotional intelligence is a word that gained popularity in around about 1995. It was, it was already on the scene a lot earlier than that, but it gained popularity in around about 1995. And its, and its founders discovered it through uh, merging psychiatry with psychology. Psychiatry with psychology. And it's the ability to monitor one's own and other people's emotions. And use the information to guide your thinking and behavior and your actions accordingly. So in essence, through developing emotional intelligence, we can recognize, we can understand, and we can choose how we think, act, and behave and perceive. So Travis Bradbury explains EQ like this. Emotional, psychological intelligence is your ability to recognize and to understand emotions in yourself and in others. And your ability to use this awareness to manage your behavior and relationships accordingly. Let me say this again. Emotional psychological intelligence is your ability to recognize and understand emotions first in yourself and then in others. 
Don't be recognise it in others if you can't see it in yourself. And your ability to use this awareness to manage your behaviour and your relationships accordingly. This is so, so key. Now, let me give you up front four areas that encompass emotional intelligence. The first thing there is, it's called perceiving emotions perceiving emotion this is the the bedrock of emotional intelligence it's the ability to perceive receive and express emotions it's the ability to perceive receive and express emotions you might think this is basic and it's in it, you know but so many people do not have this intelligence it's an intelligence because it needs thinking about, it needs understanding, it needs perceiving. So therefore, it can then be understood. Now, the reason why they call it EQ, the Q might throw you off. The Q means quadrant. So they call it EQ, emotional intelligence. Q for the quadrant, but I, I'm going to call it intelligence, because that's what it is. It, it is an intelligence. You get IQ, you get EQ. Inside the church, we get SQ, spiritual intelligence. And if you want to take it even further, you can have prophetic EQ, because not everyone who's spiritual has prophetic intelligence. Now, I write about these things in my former book, 28 Days, Developing and Deepening Your Spiritual Understanding. So if you want more information on that, you've got to go to that book. But for our, uh, our sakes today, I want to talk to you about these areas of emotional intelligence. I'm going to show you in scripture how it can destabilize you when they're not perceived and they're not understood and you can't receive certain things. And I'm going to show you how it throws your life completely out of sync. So you do this. So first of all, perceiving emotions. Secondly, then we have understanding emotions. All emotions have to be interpreted in order to find the meaning behind them. All emotions have to be interpreted in order to find the meaning behind them. So somebody walks into a room and straight away you see their face. Well, you have to perceive it. You have to uh, receive it. And then you have to understand what is wrong with that person because you perceiving this now will determine how you approach that person and how you will speak to that person. If you haven't got any emotional intelligence, you will just ignore that person's face because behind that face there is a situation going on. And if you can't perceive it and you can't understand it, you're already walking into the lines then so to speak so we see there is perceiving there's four areas of emotional intelligence the first one is perceiving emotions second is understanding emotions now every every marriage must understand their partner's emotions a woman is very different from a man we have two different types of emotions if you understand your partner you understand that when you walk in a room Something's not quite right. And you can be sensitive to that need without you knowing the, the need specifically, but you can understand it. You must be able to read the atmosphere. So you must perceive, you must understand. Thirdly, you must be able to manage emotions. So the ability to manage motions, emotions is the ability to work with them. Work with emotions or draw from them. Managing our emotions effectively is a key core aspect to emotional intelligence. Most people do not manage their anger. They do not manage their frustration. They do not manage their sarcasm. Or they do not manage their wit. If you do not manage your emotions, this is going to create an environment where people are going to find themselves pushing away from you and you're not going to know why because you can't manage your own emotions. Everyone must manage their emotions. Lastly, so we see perceiving, we see understanding, we see managing and the last one is using them. How do I use my emotions effectively? So if I'm going to galvanise, stir, encourage, I'm going to channel my emotions and I'm going to use them productively, positively, so that you don't become 
you know, abused by my emotions. You don't become affected by them in a negative sense, but I use them positively. So emotions can help you to pay attention to what matters most. They can be a shortcut in helping us prioritize what matters most. How we use our emotions will affect our self-confidence and our ability to accurately assess a situation. So the four areas, perceiving, understanding, managing and using. You say, well, Tony, show me this in scripture. Okay, I'm glad you asked that. I'm glad you asked that. So I want you to get your Bible because we're going to be looking at a lot of scripture. I'm going to show you how these things affected even the disciples and all the people inside scripture. Everybody was born with EQ. They didn't have a word for it back then, but everybody, everybody has to manage their emotions. So a well-balanced EQ, a well-balanced EQ is critical for the, for the health and the stability of your soul. A well-balanced EQ is critical to the health and stability of your soul. Therefore, watch, intellectually, spiritually, relationally, psychologically and emotionally, your choices, actions, feelings will greatly be affected if you do not develop it. If you don't develop emotional intelligence, in other words, you don't perceive, understand, manage, and use, your EQ will be seriously affected. Seriously affected. Okay, let's go to 2 Peter chapter 1. You know, the Apostle Peter understood um, that you and I are only as effective as the health of our soul. You're only as effective as the health within your own soul. Because our feelings are the very things that cause us to think differently, act differently, perceive differently. And uh, these can be the very thing that elevates us or causes us to sink. So, 1 Peter, sorry, 2, 2 Peter chapter 1. And I'm reading from the Amplified Version today. But it says, for this reason... Applying your diligence to the divine promises, make, make every effort in exercising your faith to develop moral excellence and in moral excellence, knowledge, insight, understanding, and in your knowledge, self-control. And in self-control, steadfastness, and in your steadfastness, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly affection, and brotherly affection... Develop Christian love. This is to learn unselfishly, seek the best for others, and to do things for their benefit. Now, if you're going to do things for others, and for you need to perceive those things need to be done for others, and you need to do it in such a way that it blesses and benefits the other people. Let's pick it up. Verse eight. For as you do these, for, sorry. For as these qualities are yours and are increasing. In you, as you grow towards spiritual maturity, they will keep you from being useless. I love the way the Amplified uses this word, useless and unproductive, in regard to your true knowledge of greater understanding of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is blind, short-sighted. In other words, closing his spiritual eyes to the truth. Having become obvious... Sorry, oblivious to the fact that he was cleansed from his, his past sins. Therefore, believers, be all the more diligent to make certain about this calling and choosing. Be sure that your behavior reflects and confirms your relationship with God. The Amplified really goes into it. For by doing these things, actively developing these virtues, in other words, you will never stumble in your spiritual growth and you will live a life that leads others away from sin. For in this way, entry into the eternal kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ will be abundantly provided to you. Now he says an awful lot. Now think of success. Think of success and think of failure. Think of life and think of death. Think about winning and think about losing. And we see that all these 
involve human emotions. When someone fails in life, they can feel sad. When someone wins in life, they feel jubilated. When, someone's, when someone dies, we all feel sad for the person who's passed away. But in life, life carries a whole multitude of emotions. All these emotions have to be perceived, received, and managed inside of you and me. Life will throw so many, many, many circumstances to you and I that if we do not perceive and receive and manage our emotions, these are things that can take us off the edge. Emotionally, intellectually, psychologically, spiritually and relationally. Now, what Peter is saying in here is, it's you must add things to your life. It's only what you can add to your life that will determine whether you become uh, productive and effective or determine whether you become useless or unproductive. And useless was the word Amplified Version uses. So it's really key. It's what we can add to our life that will make all the difference. And here lies the problem for people who have poor emotional intelligence. If they cannot perceive their emotions are causing them a problem, others will perceive it and they'll move back. If you can perceive it, you can lean into the Lord, you can get help. Because in my book I talk about it can be coached. Emotional intelligence is something that can be coached. It really can. So if you haven't got it, or you, you see others who've got it in greater uh, portion than you have, you can learn how to stabilize. And then one of the places we can learn is through Scripture. Scripture tells us how to get self-control. The fruit of, of, the fruit of self-control has to be our emotions, our desires, our thinking, our, our hearts, self-control in everything, our habits, our nature. So... He says, add faith to develop moral excellence and immoral excellence, knowledge and insight and understanding. This is what Peter tells us. So faith, we have to add things to develop our faith. Then he says, self-control. And in your self-control, steadfastness. In other words, as you develop, stead, sorry, as you develop self-control, it will create a steadfastness and a consistency in you. Then he says, add godliness and in your godliness, Brotherly affection. Now, to add brotherly affection needs controlled emotions. If you're going to add these things, it has to be controlled. Then he says, learn to unselfishly seek the best for others and to do things for their benefit. Wow. Now, there's, that's going to reveal internally psychological, emotional, relational issues. When you're going to do something for the benefit of others... I want to say the benefit of others. I don't just mean your friends. I mean the benefit of others beyond you. It's going to challenge you psychologically, emotionally, and relationally. And it'll even challenge you financially. And it'll challenge you in your common sense. It'll challenge you in every area. This is why I believe this book is powerful. Because I don't talk about marriage problems. I talk about the intelligences that every family, home, and, and a person needs. Every church needs them. You see, where there's poor emotional intelligence in churches, you know what you end up finding? You find that you have a lot of counselling. Counselling is developed and it becomes the couch for overlooking these issues. And if we don't deal with people in these core issues, then we're always going to create counselling and keep people in a codependent uh, forum. So then he says, learn to... These are the inequalities that will keep you from being useless and unproductive in regard to the true knowledge and greater understanding of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to keep to Peter in your mind because adding is going to be a key factor for soul health. We have to add emotional intelligence to our faith. Why? Because if my emotions are undoing everything that God puts into my life, faith has no ground to grow. Because my soul will eat every bit of seed that comes into my spirit. So, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 9. I want to show you Paul for a second. 
And I want to show you how Paul governed his emotions impeccably and why he had to do this. So let's go to 1 Thessalonians 3 verse 9. And he starts off by saying, How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and again and supply what is lacking in your faith. So he perceives what's lacking in this group of people and he's moving in his heart and his emotions to supplying what's lacking in these people. So he's doing what Peter's already said, doing things to help brothers and sisters. So, and then he says in, um, sorry, night, night and day, we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may God the Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ clear the way for us to come to you. So you see that he has this well-balanced, psychological, emotional and relational Stability, so much so that he wants to use all that's within him to go and benefit others. So he recognizes what's lacking and what's absent in others, and he can use that productively for the benefit and for the strategic benefit of those in front of him. Now, Paul demonstrates he has this intelligence inside him. He recognizes and he understands his emotions in himself and in others because he says, I pray. He's desiring in God, so he recognizes his own emotions in lifting this group of people to the Lord. He recognizes his own emotions and how his own emotions are carried away for the, for the strengthening of these people. He recognizes the lack in his other people. So there's a perceiving, there's a receiving, and there's a managing of his emotions. He is aware, and now he's going to manage these behaviors and these relationships accordingly. So let's pick up Romans chapter 1 verse 10. He's going to say the same thing again, but he's going to say it in a different way. Romans 1 verse 10. In my prayers at all times, I pray that now at last by God's will, the way may be open for me to come to you. I long to see you, that I may impart some spiritual gift to make you strong. See, he's using his emotions for the benefits of others. He's not absorbed by his, by his chains. He's not absorbed by his persecution. All the time, he's using his emotions, not on himself, but he's using it for the benefit of other people. And that is, he says this, I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may mutually be encouraged by each other's faith. That's a good EQ that Paul's showing us there. Go to 1 Corinthians 4. Two. So 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2. So we've looked at, uh, let's go back. We've looked at perceiving, understanding, managing and using our emotions. We're looking in the life of Paul and how Paul had this ability to manage, perceive and use his emotions in a very powerful, constructive way. Now I want to show you something in a minute that you, you may never have considered. Now, 1 Corinthians 4, 2. Now it is required... That those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. He says, I care very little if I'm judged by you or by human, by human court. Indeed, I do not judge even myself. Now there, stop right there. There's a very, very good window into a healthy emotionally intelligent. He does not judge himself. He does not beat himself up. Why? Because he can manage. He can perceive. He can manage. He can use his emotions constructively rather than his emotions dictating and dominating him. He doesn't judge himself. And I'll show you why in a minute. My conscience is clear. Now there's a very, very good healthy place to start. He's got no guilt. He's got no shame. In his heart, and I'm going to show you why this scripture is so, so important in a minute. If I'm judged by you or by any human court, I do not ju even judge myself. My conscience is clear. But what? That doesn't even make me innocent. Wow. <coughs> 
It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before its appointed time. Wait till the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden and in darkness and will expose the motives of men's hearts. Now, consider this. When we look at the life of the Apostle Paul, forensics, spiritual forensics, puts Paul at the scene of persecution, murder, and incarceration. Paul was a genocidal Christian murderer and persecutor. In fact, Galatians 1.13, he said, For you have heard of my previous ways. You have heard of my previous ways in life. In Judaism, he says, and how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. So he had poor EQ at that point. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews of my own age and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my father. So he, Paul's outlined it, that he was at the scene, forensically was at the scene of persecutions, murders, and incarcerations. Now, you imagine, one day, you've been doing that, that's part of your life, and all of a sudden you get saved, you're on the Damascus Road, the bright light appears, the voice, you hear the voice, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Long, let's fast forward the story. Now, Paul has now gone into Arabia. He's now been trained by the Holy Spirit. Now he's back on the scene. But this time he's now a new man. He's transformed and he's preaching the gospel. And the gospel now is, 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 is pushing him and, and urging him to go into places where he once incarcerated, persecuted and murdered people so now he's going to walk into villages he's going to walk into synagogues he's going to walk into towns and cities where he once persecuted murdered and incarcerated people can you imagine the guilt the shame and the fear that could come upon your life now if there ever was a background history to affect your eq that was an opportunity and yet paul because he knows of the grace of God and what the grace of God has done for his life, he's able to fearlessly, boldly go into an arena and say, I'm innocent. But he wasn't innocent under Roman law or Judaism law. He was innocent under grace. And you and I are innocent under grace. So therefore, when the blood of Christ comes into our life, it gives us a clean start. We have an opportunity to change the way we think, the way we perceive, the way we manage, let me go back to this, the way we perceive, the way we understand ourselves and others, the way we now manage, the way we think and the way we feel, we can manage this and the way we use then our emotions. Paul never said, I can't go there, Lord, because the people don't like me. I can't go there because I feel, Lord, I feel full of shame or I feel full of guilt. Paul was set free to go and preach the gospel, to stand and bring order into other people's lives where EQ does not exist. So, emotional, psychological intelligence is your ability to recognize and understand emotions in yourself. Now, this is the same apostle that says, I've been shipwrecked, I've been beaten, I've been naked, I've gone day and night without food, I've got the concerns of the church, and he outlines all this list of woes, but then finishes, but I'll triumph in Christ. I could do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Paul outlines these things, and you think, oh, Paul's really having a soulish pity party, but then quickly he, he finishes these, uh, this uh, um, discourse by triumphant language. Why? He shows us that all the time, sad, you feeling sad does not mean to say you've got poor emotional health. But the way you arrest your thinking and keep it focused will then create hope and light to the soul. But when you don't have it, your circumstances will begin to paint the canvas of your life. So let's go back. Let's pick this up again. So yet despite this, Paul displayed he had a well-balanced, emotional, intelligent life with no signs of a poor health struggle. My friends, you and I must strive for this life. 
You and I must attain this life. This is the reason why things are imparted into us so that we can come to a whole new level. If we're always going to be in, uh, in the state that we're in, if we're always going to be consumed by how we feel and how we think, then we're never going to come out of where we are and come into something new. We must add things to our lives. And we must allow things to be added to our life. So, in all given relationships, there, needs, there, there, there are needs. In all relationships, there are needs, there are wants, and there are desires. And these range from physical, spiritual, and carnal issues. If you want to progress, and I want to progress spiritually in God, then you must find a way to meet these requirements holistically, spiritually, scripturally, and righteously. Because God has standards. Your soul has needs. Your soul has lack. And the key to your lack in your soul is through the Spirit. It's through the Spirit because God graciously gives to us all things through the Spirit. So you must correctly, let me give you this, you must correctly perceive what relationships, you must correctly perceive what your relationship with God requires. You must write down, What you, at this point, what do you perceive your relationship with God requires? What does it lack? What's absent? You need to understand this. Emotionally, you must be able to perceive this. Secondly, you must correctly perceive what your relationship with others require. Does it need trust? Does it need love? Does it need forgiveness? Does it need you reaching out? What does it need? What you must uh, so you must correctly perceive what your relationship with others requires if they are to improve. In other words, doing what you've always done is not going to be enough. It might be enough to keep the circle of friends you have, but it won't be enough to enlarge your circle. There are things you need to add to you and to others in order for this circle to increase. Thirdly, you must correctly perceive what needs to change in you. As most of the time, you are at war with you. You're at war within your emotions, you're at war within your thinking, you're at war within your relationships, because you are, internally, you carry this problem. And I carry this problem. Let's not look at everybody else, let's look at us first. Let's start with us. Lastly, if you do not correctly perceive what needs to change or improve, then you will become ineffective, inefficient, and unproductive in your life and in your relationships. So, what actually needs to be added? This is a good question for you. What actually needs to be added? Whose responsibility is it now to add these things? Well, yours and his. See, some Christians think that everything that they lack, it's God's responsibility to give them everything they lack. Scripture doesn't teach us that. Teachers, scriptures tell us to add things. It's our job to add things. And where we fall down and we struggle, we lean into the grace and by faith we receive things. There are things that you and I must do. Prayer is something you must do. Forgiveness is something you must do. Giving is something you must do. Serving is something you must do. That's not what Jesus, Jesus has already done all those things. You must do those things. So what, whose responsibility is it to add these? Well, start with you. And that's a good place to start. At what stage? Here's a classic question. At what stage do things need to be added? I guarantee you why most marriages and most relationships go wrong is because... We don't know at what stage things need to be added. And we lose track and the problem gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And if we would have understood what needs to be added, at what time, at what stage, we could have arrested it and our, and our relationship could have been held intact. For whose benefit am I going to add things to? Now, there's a great, great. Paul says, I cannot wait to come and add things to you so we will be mutually encouraged by one another. 
Paul was very clear that he went to bless them so that they would be blessed. And by through them being blessed, he would be encouraged. It was never about Paul. It was about them. But through them being blessed, he would be and they would be mutually encouraged. When was the last time in your EQ intelligence and your relational intelligence, did you do something for the benefit of somebody else outside your own husband, wife and children? Keeping your relationship in good health with God, others and yourself is all dependent upon what you add to those relationships. So, go to chapter, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 5. I'm going to show you a mad king. I'm going to show you how poor emotional intelligence will, at some point, stand and stare at somebody who has good emotional equilibrium in their life. Now, I'm going to show you David and Saul, how they, they faced each other. Now, look at the attitudes of these guys. 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 5. When Saul, went, when Saul sent him to do, David did it successfully. Whatever Saul sent him to do, David did it successfully. That Saul gave him a high rank in the army. This pleased all the people and Saul's officers as well. Within the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistines. The woman came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing and with joyful songs and with tambourines and lutes. Listen to what they said. As they danced, they sang, Saul has slayed his thousands, but David his ten thousands. Now watch now. Saul was very angry. This refrain galled him. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but with me, only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time, and from that time, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. The next day, an evil spirit from God came forcefully upon Saul. He was prophesying in his house while David was playing the harp, as he usually did. Saul had a spear in his hand, and he hurled it, saying to himself, I'll pin David to the wall. But David eluded him twice. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with David, but had left Saul. Now, here we see in this king, we see poor soul health, we see poor intelligence, poor emotional, poor psychological health, poor relational health, poor common sense. We see the whole thing in Saul is completely upside down and he's only got internal turmoil inside him. We also have to look at David and how David responds to this because perceiving, managing, using emotions is key. If David does the same as Saul, then David's no different from Saul, and therefore we learn nothing from this. But we have to learn. The first thing we see is Saul became angry. In other words, his, his emotions now had become contaminated. His emotions had now become contaminated. In other words, Saul had become enraged. Why did he become rage? Now, listen to what he says. It says, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. Why? Because he heard the crowd singing, David Saul has slayed his thousands, but David is ten thousands. In other words, this young boy was getting some accolade, and the old fellow thought that he was no longer loved, no longer accepted. He was not getting the attention he felt he should deserve, as a king often thinks. And you and I often can fall into that. We come into a church, we come into our, our workplace, and others seem to get noticed. And we get undervalued. We don't feel as special as we once did. And the new kid on the block starts to get all the glory. And all of a sudden, it opens up our hearts to something we never thought existed. Oh yeah, God will expose us to certain environments to show us what's inside our hearts. And here, Saul was jealous. Jealous. You may be jealous today. And that jealousy has opened up a door for different things to take place. Now watch this. 
Saul had a spear in his hand and he hurled it. So he's gone from hearing the crowd sing to now he's got a jealous heart and he keeps his eye on David. Why? He's fixated on this boy because he knows every time he sees this boy, it releases emotions inside him. Now there's a key right there. Does When you look at certain people in life, what emotions spring into your heart as a result of you looking at that person or thinking about that person? That will reveal as to what state you are emotionally, relationally and psychologically are in. Oh yeah, I asked you a couple of weeks ago, when you think about certain people and certain things, what emotions does it trigger off in you? This will show you the areas that you need health and healing in. Now, it says this, David, so Saul, when he saw David, he picked up his spear and he, and he made this declaration, I'm going to pin that guy to the wall. Now, that's anger, that's rage, anger and rage now that has stemmed from jealousy. Can you see this? His soul is completely consumed. The Lord was with David, it says. You and also, sorry, let me come back to this. Saul had a spear in his hand and he hurled it. Do you know, you and I often have a spear in our hand. Do you know what that spear is? It's words. It's insults. It's curses. It's actions. When we see people that make us feel the way Saul felt, we will instantly begin to judge. Remember when we looked at judgment and discernment? We will begin to judge, we will begin to criticise, we will begin to find ways to reduce them, to marginalise them, to incarcerate people. Why? Because it's an inward reflection of our own hearts. You can slander. Your words are a spear towards other people. And when you speak those words to other people about someone else, you're doing the same thing as Saul is doing, but all you're proving is that you have poor soul health. Now, Saul was afraid of David. Saul was afraid of David. Why was Saul afraid of David? Saul had no reason to be afraid of David because Saul's the king. I'll tell you why Saul was afraid of David. Saul was afraid of David advancing. Saul was afraid of David advancing and he himself receding. Why? This shows you the weakness and instability of his emotions on the inside. He doesn't want other people to advance. He doesn't, he can't rejoice with those who are rejoicing. He can't celebrate with those who are celebrating. Why? Because you always, in, in, in strange kind of way, it flips back and shows you what's lacking and absent inside of you. And then you and I turn around to ourselves and you begin to curse that person and hate that person. Or you begin to resent God and become embittered to, about, uh, to God. Why don't you do that, Lord? If you love me, Lord, then I would do this. Or my, someone gets a promotion and you don't get it. Wow. What does that do to you? But the key was this. And the Lord was with David, but not with Saul. Why do you think the Lord was with David and not with Saul? Because Saul had opened up his heart to all kinds of things. You see, you can have a circumstance in life and you can get hurt and you can be offended. And you know, the grace and the love and the mercy of God is big enough to encompass that for a season. But if you refuse and keep on in that path, it will open up a door. And as we see in this story, a spirit came in and it began to seriously take a hold of Saul's life. My friends, when you violate principles, when you violate principles in scripture, you set off a chain of events that only you can control. Repentance brings things back to order. But it doesn't always finish there. Repentance is only the start. Then you must then add things to your life so that you don't stay in the same state. You may be forgiven, but you still remain in the same state. And it's not until you begin to move towards change that change takes place. Oh, you're forgiven, but you're still not changed. So let's pick up the story. 1 Samuel 16. Verse 14, now the spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul. There's a clear message. And an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. Saul's attendant said to him, 
See, an evil spirit from God is tormenting you. People can see it. Let our Lord command his servant here to search for someone who can play the harp. He will play. When this evil spirit from God comes upon you, you will feel better. So Saul said to his attendants, find someone who plays well and bring him to me. One of the servants answered, I have seen a son. I have seen a son. There's a key thing. I have seen a son. Whose son are you? Jesse, son of Jesse, a Bethlehemite, who knows how to play the harp. He is a brave man, a warrior. He speaks well and he's, fine, he's a fine looking man. And the Lord is with him. Then Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, send me your son, David, who is with sheep. Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread and skin of wine and a young goat and sent, sent them with his son David to Saul. David came to Saul and entered into his service. Saul liked him very much and David became one of his armor bearers. Then Saul sent word to Jesse saying, Allow David to remain in my service, for I am pleased with him. Whenever the Spirit of God came upon Saul, David took the harp and uh, sorry, David would take his harp and play. Then relief would come to Saul. He would feel better and the evil spirit would leave him. Now watch this. The world is looking, the world is always looking for a gifted person. The world is always looking for a gifted person. Your workplace is looking for a gift and talent. The church is looking for gifts and talent. Your neighborhood is looking for gifts and talent. In other words, there are things in our society that need you and me, people with gifts and wisdom and talent so but when the package arrives it doesn't always appeal to those who are looking for the gift you and I walk into an environment but the color of our skin the culture background culture we come from is not the package the society is necessarily looking for but it wants the gift without the package. Hmm. So it wants the gift. It wants the skill. It wants the knowledge. It wants the expertise that's inside of you. But the environment rejects the package. Now, why does the environment reject the package? Why does a church, why does a, uh, a, a, a school or a, uh, a society reject the package? Why? Because the package reveals what's missing and what's lacking inside others so inside others there is poor relational intelligence there's poor eq there's poor iq there's poor relational there's no, no common sense so when these things are lacking people do not always accept the package that god sends into the environment and here david was this young boy and saul liked his gift but he was jealous of him. He didn't like the package. So the world is looking for a gifted person. The next thing we see in this scripture here is, when, the pers when this person speaks, they often can set the atmosphere at rest in peace and in harmony. So let, let me re uh, clarify that. When David came into Saul's environment, David's environment took control of Saul's environment. Saul's environment did not affect David. It was the other way around. The gift began to supersede the issue. Saul had a spirit. Saul was angry. He was jealous. He tried to uh, throw the javelin at him. But when this man, this young boy, picked that gifted instrument, or when, sorry, when he picked his gift up and he began to play his instrument, his gift began to make room for him and it began to change the atmosphere. My friend, you, your gift without you being whole is going to be a problem. You can be super talented, but if your, if your, if your body your soul cannot carry this gift well, it's going to create trouble for you. But listen, if you can be like David and like Paul, of which you can, and you walk into an environment, I'm telling you now, you in your soul health 
is going to come into an environment and set what's out of order in order. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in them. And David had this ability to pick up, I wish to God, musicians all around the world, when they picked up their instruments, they could carry within them deliverance. Now here, Saul had a spirit. The moment David picked up his instrument, that spirit was quietened. I wish to God more musicians around the world would carry this dynamic and this anointing on their life. Then he says this. Here's what he said. I know someone. He's a brave man and he's a warrior, he says. And he speaks well. Notice the characteristics of David here. When Saul was asking to find somebody, one of the guys, one of his guys says, I know a man. Yeah, he's a brave man, he's a warrior. And he speaks well. So in other words, here's a fighter. Here's a warrior, but here's a man who can speak well. Now, there's the difference. When Paul spoke, he spoke well. When David speaks, he speaks well. When you or I speak, when, when our soul's not in a good place, we don't speak well, we speak the opposite. So here's David showing us that a warrior, you would think a warrior is a man who's anger, his rage, and his rage and his anger is what he needs to be a warrior. No, no, no. There's a time to be angry. There's a time not to be angry. And here's this man who is he's, he's a good-looking man, he's a young man, he's a young man, he's a warrior, he's brave, but he speaks well. In other words, he hasn't got the same nonsense going on inside him that this mad king has got. And Saul liked him very much and made him his armor bearer. If you know anything about armor bearers, armor bearers were the ones who not only dressed the king, but they fought with the king. And David was a man who was willing to fight with Saul and fight for Saul, but he was not a man willing to fight against Saul. And there's a difference. I can fight alongside, I can fight for somebody, but to fight with somebody shows you must have a different intelligence so that you may be in an environment that's fighting, but you don't have to let that environment inside of you. Lastly, scripture, let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 26. 1 Samuel 26. Now here's David, he now has his opportunity to get his own back on the king, because the king is a mad, is a mad uh, demonically possessed king, who's jealous, angry of this young boy. And here we see, When an opportunity comes for you to strike, what's actually inside your heart? And here we see. And Abishai said to David, picking up uh, chapter 1 Samuel 26, verse uh, 8 to 25. Abishai said to David, today God has delivered your enemy into your hands. Now what's happening now is Saul is pursuing David and they're on the run. And David's fleeing for his life because this king wants to kill him. And here we find in the middle of the night, God puts him to sleep. And let's see the attitude of Saul and David. Watch. And today God has delivered your enemy into your hands. Now let me pin him to the ground. So now Saul's asleep. They've got the opportunity to take revenge on Saul. And one of his men says, come on, I'll pin him to the ground now. I've seen what he's done to you. And David says, whoa, hang on, Kim Osave. Watch. Watch this. Today, God has delivered your enemy into your hands and now let him pin him to the ground. Let me pin, pin him to the ground with one thrust of my spear. I won't strike him twice. But David said to Abishai, don't destroy him. Who can lay hand on the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? As surely as the sin. Now there's emotional control right there. He's, he's, he's calm, he's collective. He's not showing any restraint. He's not looking for revenge. Unlike Saul. Watch, verse 10, as surely as the Lord lives, he said, the Lord himself will strike him either in time will come and he will die or he will go into battle and perish. David was prophesying Saul's future. But the Lord forbid that I should lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. Now get that spear and water jug that are near his head and let's go. So David took the spear and the water jug near Saul's head and they left. No one saw or knew about it, nor did anyone wake up. They were all sleeping because the Lord had put them into a deep sleep. Then David crossed over to the other side and stood on the top of the hill some distance away. There was a wide space between them. Now watch what happens. And he called out to the army of Abner and and son of Ner, 
aren't you going to answer me, Abner? He said, David said, you are a man, aren't you? And who is like you in Israel? Why didn't you guard your Lord, the king? Someone came to destroy the Lord, your king, which was himself. What you have done is not good. As surely as the Lord lives, you and your men deserve to die because you did not guard your master, the Lord's anointed. Look around you. Where are the king's spear and water jug that was near his head? So David gets into the camp in the middle of the night. When they're all asleep, he has an opportunity to kill the king while he's asleep, but he doesn't. So what he does, he takes his spear and the water jug, he gets out the camp, he gets in a safe space, and now he's goading him to say, hang on a minute, you were supposed to be watching over the king last night. I could have come in and killed him, but I didn't. Why? Watch this. So verse 17, Saul recognizes David's voice. And here's, what, listen to the, the madness of this king. Is that your voice, David, my son? Is that your voice, David, my son? You've been trying to kill him. He's not your son. Is that, uh, is that your voice, David, my son? David replies, yes, it is, my lord, the king. See, there's still honor in his language. Yes, it is, my lord, the king, he added. Why is the lord pursuing his servant? What have I done? And what wrong am I guilty of? Now let my lord, the king, listen to his servant's words. If the lord has incited you against me, then may he accept an offering. If, however, men have done it, maybe they be cursed before the Lord. The whole, um, they, the Holy Bible, knew, uh, sorry, as surely as, the, uh, sorry, as surely as I valued your life today, so may the Lord value my life and deliver me from all the trouble. Then Saul said to David, may you be blessed, my son David. You'll do great things and surely triumph. So David went on his way and Saul returned home. This man is a crazy king. He is a crazy, mad king. Why? Because he wants to kill him. He's jealous. David could have killed him in that, in that ravine. But David did not. Why? Because David's got calm, stable, healthy soul health. The king, can you imagine if it would have been David what was asleep in that valley and Saul and his men would have walked in that valley and found David asleep. The king was already pursuing David to kill him. Saul would have killed him. But when the shoe was on the other foot, so to speak, David's emotional intelligence is seen by his actions and by his words. So emotional intelligence, emotional intelligence is a way of recognizing and choosing how we think, feel, and act. It shapes our interactions with others and our understanding of ourselves. It defines how and what we learn it allows us to set priorities. It determines the majority of our daily actions. Lastly, as we bring this thing to a conclusion, whatever EQ is absent, your life will be in a mess. Your thinking will be in a mess. Here's some things I've observed by what I see. Whenever I see emotional intelligence lacking in people, these are the things I see. There is never any honour and respect for people. I've observed this in the ministry over the years, that where there is poor emotional intelligence, there's a lack of honour and respect seen and given. Where there is poor EQ, there will be no inward restraint and a poor use of self-management with one's words and actions. Slander will be something that you see very often when someone has a poor emotional intelligence. Slander and hurt and they'll use words to cut, to minimize, to deceive, to throw you off. All this language is there because they cannot perceive and they cannot manage and they cannot use these emotions productively. Wherever a marriage, family and home or a church has no or has poor EQ, you'll find there's no peace, there's no harmony, there's no rest and there's no order. There. James 1.6 says this, and it's talking about when we pray. If we're going to ask God to help us, 
and we're going to ask others to help us and read him you know read information that will help us and manage our own emotions if we're going to pray we must first believe that when we pray we're going to receive and james tells us but when he asks he must add he said he must believe and not doubt why must he believe and not doubt because doubting is a result of poor emotional intelligence the soul doesn't want to believe, doesn't want to change, does, has, doesn't have hope. So doubting is the fruit of a poor soul. But faith is the food and the fuel needed to get you out of that hole and into something new. He says, so when you pray, you must believe and not doubt. Because he who doubts, he's like a wave blown on the sea. It's tossed by the wind. That man should not think, that woman, that church, that family, that home, should not think they will receive anything from the Lord. They are, a double, they are double-minded and unstable in all they do. Now, why are they double-minded and why are they unstable? Because it's the reflection of the soul. It wants to doubt. It has no hope. It doesn't believe things can change. It's negative. Lastly, 2 Peter 1.5, I finish with this scripture as I started with this scripture for this reason. I've given you all the reasons now why you need to add EQ to your life and to your faith. For this reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness. Goodness, knowledge. That's I, there's IQ right there. Knowledge. And to your knowledge, self-control. There's good EQ right there. And to self-control, perseverance. And to perseverance, godliness. There's SQ, that's spiritual intelligence. And to godliness, brotherly kindness. And brotherly kindness, love. For if you possess IQ, EQ, and SQ, if you possess these, these qualities, increasing measure, and if you possess them in increasing measure, why? Because you keep adding. They will keep you from being ineffective, unproductive, in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Dear friends, I've tried to come at this thing from so many different angles over this, over these five weeks I've been teaching you about good soul health. I hope that this is helping you understand you. I hope this is helping you. I made a statement in the early stages of teaching you this whole thing. I said, if you're bleeding, put a stitch in it. You cannot keep bleeding poor soul health and not put a stitch in it and recover and get stronger and stronger and stronger. You must add things to your life. And wherever I see poor emotional health, I am duty bound to help or remind you or encourage you or challenge you that you need a stitch in that wound. Why? Because your poor soul health will destroy you and it will destroy others around you at some point. It's only a matter of time and it's only a matter of opportunity. So our God has given us everything we need. So I want you to bow your head with me now as I pray for you. I want you to bow your head, if you will. And I want you to remember, Lord, open my eyes to perceive what is lacking and missing in my life. Lord, I know my emotions can be, they can run away with me. But, oh God, I submit them to you. That when you made me, you put these dimensions inside my DNA. So, Father, I appeal to my DNA. I appeal to Hebrews 4.12. The word of God is living and active. It divides to joint and marrow. It exposes and makes everything clear so that nothing can be hidden. Father, I don't want my emotions to be hidden anymore. Father, I expose them before the throne of God where I know they are safe and they are protected. Father, let your word on earth, which is, sorry, let your word on earth and then expose that which is lacking in me and needs fixing. Lord, I ask you, Father, help me, give me perception. Lord, secondly, I ask for, for control, self-control to manage them. Manage my own emotions, O oh God, so that nothing 
causes me to be tossed to and fro like a ship on the sea. Father, I pray, O oh God, to put a governing structure inside my soul. And Father, lastly, I pray, O oh God, that you will teach me how to use my emotions for the benefit of other people. Father, I ask you, I submit these three areas, O oh God, and I want you to pray about these three areas and keep praying about it until you see breakthrough in this area. Listening is only the start of you making this journey. If you listen to this message, oh, that was good, and then close your back, close, turn it off and go your own way, nothing has changed. Change only comes when action is put and decisions are made. So right now, in the name of Jesus, I pray for you. I thank you for listening and for watching. And I trust that uh, these messages have really helped you. And from now, I trust I'll see you soon. Take care. God bless. Remember, Jesus loves you. Amen.